Hello, everybody. Welcome on this wintry January morning. I'm Holly Worsley. I am one of the elders here at Lake Forest. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I hope I will get to. Um, I have the privilege of bringing our message this morning. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump right in. Father God, sometimes we are so weighted down by our day-to-day. We're so full. We're so busy. We have so many things that we're carrying that um, we are looking for your goodness, but it's easy to miss it. Um, Lord, I pray through the scriptures this morning, through the story of King David's life, through your faithfulness to King David, that you would open our hearts to lift our eyes up and see the goodness in you, the great, untamable, magnificent goodness in you. Lord, share that to our hearts and minds this morning. We ask and pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Bill and I have four kiddos, three of which are not kiddos anymore. Um, one, our youngest is 11. Um, and one of the things that we did early on was we decided that we would read the Chronicles of Narnia. I say we, he, read the Chronicles of Narnia while I listened to each of the children, which means that Holland, our oldest, has heard the Chronicles of Narnia at least four times now. And it became just a a family heartbeat for us. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a a children's series that was written by C.S. Lewis. And the background is it's about a magical land where there's a battle going on between good and evil. And one day a young girl stumbles through a magic portal, a, a wardrobe, if you will, into this land. And she scrambles back to her siblings, three other siblings, and says, there's a beautiful land, you've got to come see it. And so eventually they all enter into this land and the four children are engaged in talking to the animals that can talk in this magical land, and they run into Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver explains a little bit about the land, and then he says, oh, I've got to take you to Aslan. And as soon as they hear these four young kids, the name Aslan, three of them are are warmed, they're changed, there's a longing that's awakened in them, and one of them, the boy, is afraid. He's convicted. And the the beaver says to the children, I need you to take you to Aslan. He's a great lion. And Lucy, the youngest, says, a lion? Well, is he very safe? And the beaver laughs. He says, oh, no. He's not safe. But he's good. Friends, I'm convinced that that's what King David lived, what he experienced, what he knew, not with his head, but in in his soul, in his being, that our God, his God, that he was following was not safe. He experienced that in his life. His his God was not predictable. He wasn't manageable. He wasn't containable. He, He was not going to bend to David's will or to our will. He is very much not safe, but he is so constantly and forever good. 
David somehow had this gift from God that yes, he saw the goodness in, of God in his day-to-day life. He would, he would see the evidence of God in his day-to-day life, but he had this deeper awareness, this deeper belief in the essence of his being in this bigger goodness, this bigger plan, this bigger majesty that God was unfolded. And David believed in it in the depths of his soul. So if you're just jumping in with us, in this series, or maybe if you just need to defrost your brain a little bit this morning, let me get us caught up. We've been studying the life of David in the books First and Second Samuel. Now, the First Samuel actually deals with the first king of Israel, of, of king over the Israelite people. His name was Saul, and his life we see rise to power and then end actually in great tragedy. Because here were some of Saul's choices. He constantly disobeyed God. He ignored the wisdom of the prophet Samuel who tried to guide him through God's words. He was bitterly jealous of David and how the people felt about David. He was unrepentant until the last day of his life about the brokenness that was inside of him. And at the end of Saul's life, he literally is on the battlefield. He knows he's getting ready to be taken over by his enemies. And so he asks someone to kill him who refuses. And so he takes his own sword and falls on it. Tragic life. So then in 2 Samuel, we see in the first six chapters this rise of King David to power. And that's where our passage comes in this morning. The tribes of Israel, the people of Israel, God's people... They came to David and they said, David, will you unite us into not a bunch of tribes, but a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel? Will you you unite us? And he does. And then he goes to the town of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and he conquers it. And he makes, King David makes for the first time, the city of Jerusalem, the political capital, the political seat of the people of Israel. And then he goes on, and by God's favor, he wins battles, and he expands the territory of Israel, and and they're more and more powerful and more and more united. And so then, David takes the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. So now Jerusalem is the political center of Israel, and it's the spiritual center of Israel. And that's where we pick up in 2 Samuel 7. David is settled, it says, in his palace. And and God has given him rest from his enemies, from all the battles that he's fought. And we see for the first time the prophet Nathan appears on the scene. And and David says to this prophet Nathan, guided by God, I just realized. It's like he had time to stop and lift his head up and not be in battle. And he's in Jerusalem and all this has happened. And he says, Nathan, I just realized that I'm living in this house of cedar." really expensive, really valuable. I'm in the house of cedar, and the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. Now, if you're like me for the first half of my life, the only reference I ever had to the Ark of the Covenant was in a Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, all right? And that's a creepy scene. I'm not going to lie to you. So in case that was you, I'm going to catch you up on what I had to catch up on, all right? What is the Ark of the Covenant, and why was it in a tent, and why did that matter? Well, the tent that David's referring to was what we sometimes call the tabernacle, if you're reading in the Old Testament, 
or the tent of meeting. It was a mobile temple, if you will. Why mobile? Well, because the people of Israel were wandering in the desert. God was guiding them in a desert. And so they had to move from place to place. And they would assemble this tabernacle, this mobile tent, and camp the tribes around it. Now here's the thing. When God gave Moses the instructions for this place of meeting, for this tabernacle, he said this, Moses, do exactly, exactly what I'm going to tell you, exactly the way I'm going to tell you, because this tabernacle is a shadow. It's a copy of heaven. It's a copy of how a holy God will meet with a broken people. It's a way, it's a means for a holy, good God to meet with a broken, sinful people because I long to be with my people. And so I've made a way in the tabernacle. And the Ark of the Covenant, well, we don't speak in cubits much anymore. That's how they measured it. So let me just say it was, it was approximately three feet by two and a half feet by two and a half feet. And, and God gave the exact measurements, the exact materials to Moses. It was to be made of acacia wood covered in gold, molded in gold. And, and there was a ring at each corner and long acacia poles covered in gold were to go through the rings. They were never to be taken out. And inside this Ark of the Covenant was essentially the story of God's faithfulness to his people. The, the covenant of the law, the Ten Commandments were in there. A little bit of manna, which is what God miraculously fed his children with in the desert. A reminder that God has always provided for his people was in there. The staff of Aaron, Aaron was Moses' brother, and he would, his family would become the priests of God's people was in there. But on top, on top of it, were two cherubim with their wings facing each other. Their wings over the law of the covenant, over the, the memories of God's faithfulness to his people, ready to serve the Lord at any moment. And here's what God told Moses about that Ark of the Covenant. There will be above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and I will give you all the commands the Israelites. Friends, the God of the universe came and dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant in that most holy place in the tabernacle. So for David, what was the Ark of the Covenant for David? It was where God met his people. The God of the universe showed his heart for his people there. The God of the universe exhibited his power there, his protection there, his provision there. And so zoom back to 2 Samuel 7. David suddenly realizes, I'm in this expensive house, and the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. And so he goes, David, he goes to God and he prays. He says, God, let me build you a temple let me build you a temple and listen to what God says back to David. He says, no, 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 David. Thank you for that, but I'm going to establish your house. As a matter of fact, I'm going to establish a dynasty coming from you. As a matter of fact, your house and your name will be an eternal kingdom. Nathan 
gave these words to David. They were from God to David. Here in 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 13, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, David, when you're, when you're dead, when you're gone, you will rise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. God says to David, David, your son, Solomon, he'll be the one to build my temple. But then God goes on speaking to David, I will be his father. In other words, God says, I will be Solomon's father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. God says to David, your son Solomon is going to struggle with sin, David. I want you to know the heart of David. You know, he says to God, let me build you a temple. God, you've, look what you've done in my, in, in my heart in this nation. Let me build you a temple. And God says, no, your son Solomon will do it. You know what David did? He spent the rest of his life gathering the materials for the temple. From his own pocket, from all over the kingdom. He spent the rest of his life preparing his son to build this temple. And Solomon did build a mighty temple to God, friends. Gold and jewels and wonders, just as God had told him. And in the inside of the temple, this is so beautiful, there was imagery of a garden, of trees and of plants beckoning back to the Garden of Eden when God dwelled with his people in freedom. And there was a menorah that represented the tree of life just in the cent as in the center of the Garden of Eden. It was a representation. The temple was where a holy, blameless, all-good God met with his broken people. But Solomon also sinned, just as God said he would. He struggled he took on foreign wives. God said, don't do it because they'll bring their foreign gods. And, and he, he took on foreign wives and they convinced him, it's okay, you can worship that God of yours, but we'll worship mine too. And so these foreign gods began to invade and infiltrate the people of Israel because of Solomon's misguided leadership. And God kept his promise for a really, really long time. For 400 years, David's family ruled. But their corruption descendants grew until finally God said no more no more and he he took the people of Israel and the leaders of Israel and he allowed them to be conquered and they were taken into foreign lands and the temple the holy temple of God was decimated now at this point you might think had God given up on Israel had God given up on his people except for the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Hear the covenant. Hear the promise of God to us. Your house and your kingdom, David, will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 
Here are the forevers that God puts forth. In verse 13, he said, He is the one, Solomon, who will build the house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. There's three forevers there, which says there is something much bigger and much more good and much more grand and much more unconceivable that is going on than Solomon here. Friends, if you commit yourself to do something forever and you are God, you are shaping eternity with this very commitment. See, on the one hand, the promise is secure. God has said, your kingdom will go on forever. I've made a covenant. I'm behind it. And on the other hand, his descendants had fallen into evil, into rebellion, and the people were exiled, and the throne was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And so had God given up on Israel? The prophets began to speak through God. One in particular, Isaiah, many of the prophets spoke of this. But one in particular, Isaiah, God allowed Isaiah to see that if the covenant was going to be fulfilled, the covenant between David and his people, between David and God, between God and all people, that God would have to fulfill it. Man was not capable we had proven that again and again and again. That if the covenant was going to certainly be fulfilled, that God would have to fulfill it. And this is what Isaiah prophesied long before Jesus. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah and many prophets prophesied that this would happen, and then Luke had the great joy of recording it, of when the, the young Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, that this moment sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That Gabriel came to a child, a teenager named Mary, and he said this, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus, and he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The Bible most certainly teaches that Jesus Christ is the hoped for and promised Son of David the descendant of David who will rule and fulfill the covenant of God made to the great King David. So that leaves us with this. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us this week 
in our day-to-day lives. I think King David would say it means a couple of things. Foremost, it means this. Friends, God has always passionately pursued his people. He is still pursuing his people. He wants to be in relationship with his people. He, he did that in the garden. We walked with God with no fear right with him in the garden. And then he gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle so a holy God could dwell with a broken people, could meet with his people, could know his heart. And then he did that in the temple so a holy God could meet with his broken people, pursuing his people in the garden, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and finally in Jesus. Our holy God came himself to keep the covenant that God had made with King David. God is pursuing you. He wants goodness for you. And I think King David would say this, know that you have a choice that God has given you a choice. There are two kingdoms. There is an earthly kingdom. And you can choose to dwell only in that earthly kingdom and, and not have any part of the eternal kingdom. And in that earthly kingdom, you will be your own Lord and King. Or you could take a step of faith and believe that there is an eternal kingdom where Jesus, the son of David, is our eternal savior and king, and that his covenant to David still stands for his people, his followers, that's for us. The covenant promises still stand for us when we follow Jesus to this day. Here's the covenant promises that, that, that God is trying to pass on to you. His power, his wisdom, his strength, his guidance, his forgiveness. His love, his presence in your day-to-day life. But as with all kingdoms, there are customs in the kingdom. And so back to the beginning of our story, our God is not a safe God. He won't be put in a box. He won't be managed. He won't be predictable. He will ask things of you like this new customs and a new kingdom, if you will. He'll ask new attitudes of you. He'll ask new patterns in your life. He'll ask for new emotions and new thoughts to be, that are guided by his kingdom principles that he slowly weaves into your soul and into your family and into your neighborhood and into your work. He'll ask for you to act in new ways that resemble his kingdom He'll ask for you to allow him to remake you into the person you were created to be in the beginning of time. It won't be safe, but it will be God's very, very best for you. Because he is good. And his promises endure forever. Let me pray for us. Father God, sometimes we get so very caught up in this earthly kingdom. Forgive us. Forgive us for feeling that the weight, the only thing that matters is this earthly kingdom, God, that our 
I sometimes fall down under the burden of that. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends that are here this morning that are, that are really just considering that there might be this eternal kingdom, this, this loving God that, would, that is pursuing them, that does want to love them and, and forgive them and take the weight of this earthly kingdom off their shoulders and walk alongside them and make them the person they were created to be. Lord, I pray for courage for those friends that are here this morning. Lord, give them belief. Give them courage to take a step of faith and to see and taste that you are good. Lord, lift our eyes. Lift our eyes from this earthly kingdom. Help us to see your covenant faithfulness to us. We are humbled by your goodness, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.